Welcome to this episode of The Smug Buds, featuring me, your host, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes, and my bud, my smug bud, Will. Hi, Will. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm good. Uh, how is Arizona? Is it still very hot? It's not very hot. It is right on the border between a little bit uncomfortably warm and refreshingly cool. Some days are nice. Some days are like, hey, what happened to the niceness? But uh, (laughs) we're we're basically, it's mid-October now, and we're basically through the summer. We're on the other side of it, basically. Nice. Um, It's blustery and chilly here. Um, mm-hmm. we had soup tonight and I feel very grateful that we had soup tonight. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Did you have tortellini for your soup this time? It was butternut squash soup. Oh, that sounds good. Kenny made it and he also made grilled cheese to go with it. Hmm. Uh, Trader Joe's has a butternut squash mac and cheese, uh, oh. in the frozen section. They call it a mac and cheese, but if I know what macaroni are, the 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 pasta is not macaroni, <laughs> uh-huh. which I guess come to think of it, if they call it mac and cheese, I guess they could make the case that the mac is not necessarily short for macaroni. I yeah, need to look. It's just ta- short I for need mac. to. Yeah, I need to take a closer look at the packaging uh, <laughs> before I speak ill of it. But anyway, I don't mean to speak ill of it at all because I think it is delicious and <laughs> it is, a, of course, a seasonal item. And I do wish yes. that they would uh, sell it year round. Mm-hmm. It's that good. And I don't think that I would tire of it. Yeah. 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 Butternut squash I do tire of by the end of the season, but um, it's not the end of the season, so I haven't tired of it yet. Do you have Trader Joe's in Gaithersburg? We do. Um, the closest one is actually much closer to my work, ah. um, which is not that far away from where I live. But yeah. um, it's uh, I, I pretty much only go there when I'm at work on like a lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I just go to Whole Foods because Trader Joe's, my friend Lindsay, who was Southern, she was like, Trader Joe's is a snack emporium, and you can't go there thinking you're going to get anything other than snacks. Yes, that is <laughs> what the weak-willed would say about <laughs> the Trader Joe's <laughs> emporium, yes. And I, I, so, uh, I, I, I agree with her in the sense that, you know, I'm buying a lot of vegetables. Trader Joe's doesn't have the best vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, uh, but they do have the thing that I'm most interested in getting when I'm at Trader Joe's is snacks. (laughs) Yeah, I might feel that way if I weren't so concerned with getting the best or what I consider the best, like prefab lunches and sometimes dinners. The snacks are kind of like an afterthought to me. I I guess actually I take that back a little bit, which is that I... Because we basically don't have any pre, any like prepackaged, prefab, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, lunches and dinners that those things I look at and I think, oh, that looks interesting, but I would not never buy them, but I would not be regularly buying them. So am I using that term correctly? Prefab? Yeah. Prefabricated. Ah, uh, yes. Even, even if it's not, uh, exactly the way it technically is used, it, I think, absolutely fits into the definition of what you're looking for. 
Yeah, I don't think of meals as being fabricated necessarily. What am I appropriating that term from, though? I have no idea. Um, is is there a type of thing it usually refers to? Yeah, I think it, one would say that it usually refers to things that are constructed. So like uh-huh. furniture or... Um, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like houses. Right. Yes, that makes sense. That does sound familiar to me now that you say that. So like um, at one point I was trying to get a um, cabinet for my mother for her house because mm-hmm. her house is quite big, but the kitchen is actually pretty small and she had like mm-hmm. very limited cabinets. Like I think she actually had less cabinets than I have in my apartment kitchen and she didn't really mm-hmm. have a pantry. And so I, uh, the man said to me, uh, there is actually a prefab cabinet that matches these, mm. meaning not one that he would have to hand build. Thank you for giving me a, a- a sentence and a context for that sentence <laughs> to supply it, much like a spelling bee, the mm-hmm. situation in which I would hear that word. You're so listening well. to grocery store and vocabulary <laughs> chat. <laughs> a proud member of the smug buds family of podcasts. <laughs> no, what are we actually going to talk about? We are you actually, you ask me that question. Yeah. What are we going to talk about? Will? well, Per your desires, we are going to talk about time travel as an emotionally manipulative narrative device. Is that fair? Is that a fair Uh uh, uh, encapsulation of your topic? And um, uh, I believe what I called it was time travel's a trick and I'm sick of it. (laughs) Sure. Um. Now, also, we're doing a little bit of time travel here, or our listeners I, are, anyway. I was, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Do you want to explain why, since that's technically your episode? I, I, I assume you're referring to not just the fact that all our episodes are, you know, recorded mostly well in advance, and that's our, our kind of time travel uh when people are hearing it versus when we're recording it but also specifically mm-hmm. you're referring to the fact that we are recording this episode out of order from mm-hmm. the way the order in which the episodes are being released so the the yes. if all goes according to our plan then the previous episode released in our feed has not been recorded yet this is yes. the third episode of the season again if all goes according to plan but it's the second one that we are recording and the um, trick, the trickiest part about this actually is that this is also going to be a little bit of a crossover episode. Ah, uh, yes. And so one of the things that I'm going to be talking about in this episode was the main focus of the last episode. So mm-hmm. I will need to make sure that I, uh, well, one, that I do not talk about this when we talk about, uh, when we talk for next the episode that you've just experienced last week. And that I also don't talk about things as if people already know the things i've said in this episode (laughs) please feel free to speak as much or as little about that movie you're thinking of as you want and it'll all all be sorted out in the end okay don't even worry about it i guess our listeners can also like retrofit the order and Mm -hmm. listen to this one first and then go back um like have you seen that there are this is not time travel, but have you seen that there people have made like cuts of a movie like Pulp Fiction that like quote unquote put sure. it into chronological order? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I haven't, and- I haven't sat down and watched uh, a cut like that, but I, I, yeah. I've heard of it and I'm aware that that exists. And, and that like formally it. happened with Arrested Development too, because when Arrested Development, the fourth season right. of it, came out on Netflix, uh, yep. people were like stoked, and then they were like, "Uh, what's happening?" Because each episode followed a character, um, yeah. for the most part, but that meant that it didn't follow the actual timeline of what was happening, because it sort of looked at each character's progression through the whole season in an episode or two, with you know some exceptions, and then mm-hmm. the dude like re-release them on netflix with a couple of extra scenes too and basically put them back into order and was like i think this makes more sense yeah well there are a couple of things (laughs) that i can add to that description which was accurate and i will say that i recall um and you might have just heard angie uh in the background uh or uh shaking around her collar um I was saying that uh, before the release of uh, the initial release of season four of Arrested Development, the first to uh, be on Netflix, the one that, you know, brought it back after so many years of uh, its absence after cancellation, uh, the creator Mitch Hurwitz said publicly that he wanted to take advantage of the streaming platform uh, format and make a, a season that was not only uh, more enjoyable when binged, but also his goal was to create a season where you could watch any episode you wanted, mm-hmm. and you could watch them in any order, and you yeah. might and you might benefit from watching them out of order. Now, yeah. before the season was released, he said. You might have heard me say that you'll be able to watch the new season in any order you want. I I failed to create a new form of comedy where the punchline comes before the setup. So please watch them in order. But they still had that thing where they were like broken up so that each one focused on a character. And there are a lot of like, uh, you know sort of crossing over of the timelines so that mm-hmm. you're watching what happens to each character in most so anyway yes. the re-release that you were referring to in addition to saying like oh maybe it'll work better this way what he did with that re-edit was there are more episodes and they're shorter and they're not only yes. shorter but they're precisely long enough that it's as if they weren't made for Netflix. They were actually mm-hmm. re-edited so that they could air in syndication. Like they have spaces for commercial breaks that don't exist on mm-hmm. Netflix. They're just the right length for a half hour block on TV. So mm-hmm. it was sort of a multi-purpose, you know, experiment of like, what if you put it in chronological order? And also what if it was made so that it could maybe air on TV someday? Yeah, and I think that this uh, might seem kind of like a, a non sequitur to um, this time travel thing, but I, I think it brings up a good point, which I want to start with, uh, which is that um, I think that it's pretty obvious that shows play with our experience of time all of the time. Mm-hmm. And and movies, me, me, you know, filmed media like this. Um, yeah. 
you know, we're going to have things like flashbacks. Um, uh-huh. We're going to have things like you move forward a couple of years or time is ambiguous. Um, on the L Word podcast I'm listening to called to Ellen Back, um, they talk about how time is so ambiguous that like uh, sometimes like, you know, people's hair will be a totally different length because it's been like, a se- you know, it's been like a year mm. since they filmed the last season, but they make it seem yeah. like their hair grew that length in like three months. Mm -hmm. Um, And that time is so ambiguous that they never ended up with any sort of holiday episode, like holiday being like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, anything. That's Um, interesting. And I will say that like a a common frustration in watching a movie or a television show, I think, is, you know, lackluster writing might make an audience member say like, well, I can't tell how much time is supposed to have passed in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not clear. It's like whether things are taking place over the span of a week or a month or years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, too, like, even with things like, um, you know, you as a person are going to experience things differently unless it's explicitly played out. Like, mm-hmm. so with Beauty and the Beast, that middle section of Beauty and the Beast where it's winter and she's like, in the castle with the beast and it's um something there that wasn't there before basically yeah i just remember that feeling like you know a a lifetime when i was a child it felt like 30 or 40 minutes of the movie and i it must be seven minutes long you know what i mean like it's not a long part of the movie it's more of a transition than anything but because i was young and emotionally they had something happen during that song I really mm. saw it as being a longer period of time in the movie. Um, I think you talked ab- I think you talked about this when we were talking about Moana. Oh yeah, because then yes, that that uh yes, cuz then watching Moana in sections has like right. uh sort of brought back that that feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. But what I want to talk about is I'm going to talk about how I think that time travel I just, I just want to preface this too by saying that like, I don't think that any of the examples that I'm giving here are necessarily bad. I just think that it's starting to be done too much. And that's what I mean when I'm say like, I'm sick of it. And I think mm. that sometimes it's earned and sometimes it's not. Um, okay. And so sometimes it feels more like a trick than other times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm going to talk about one thing at the very end. That I feel like has taken this sort of time travel concept and um, put it onto the viewer, but in like Mm -hmm. a massive way. Like in a way that's like way more than like the traditional flashback. So like the people aren't just moving. It's not that the people themselves are time traveling, but I think it's essentially the same device. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is my first sort of emotional reaction that I had to time travel which i made you watch today and this is the scene in doctor who uh when we have um, matt smith as the doctor with amy pond when they visit vincent van gogh or van gogh and Mm -hmm. uh they at the end of the episode matt smith um takes uh vincent and brings him to the present day to amy's time (laughs) period yes yeah um which is it's 2010 fun- yes 
conveniently probably the year that the episode came out, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, which is why I say day. present day. Because, yes. it, you know, it's the present day for the characters that are our protagonists. That isn't but the doctor is, who's like... Right. Ex- yeah. Is there is there a present day for the doctor? I assume there isn't. Um. Yeah, there's not really a present day for the doctor. Um. But Amy is sort of our tether to what is current because she's his companion at the time. The audience surrogate. Yes. And um, they had visited this museum earlier in the episode. So he comes back and talks to the curator. And um, played by says, Bill Nighy. Yes, played by Bill Nighy. And says, um, Bill Nighy actually comes up again. I just realized. It, um, same same character, different character? No, just in this podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm oh, sorry. I thought you meant in Doctor Who history. No, that's fine. You did, You could not have known what I was thinking. Um, and, uh, and Vincent's like, clearly just like bemused at like this museum in and of itself because like he's in the future and this museum's beautiful and you know he's like literally lives in the country so like he's seeing all this modern architecture and it's like beautiful and they get up to a room and it's a room that has all of the um all of his paintings in it and everyone's like sitting there there are children they're just sitting looking at them and uh the doctor goes over to bill nighy and says um you know, thank you for talking to me earlier. Um, you know, just really quick, in like a hundred words, do you think you could tell me the importance of Vincent Van Gogh? And or this is Van Gogh. And uh, mm-hmm. he says, oh, I mean, that's a big question. And says basically like, um, you know, Vincent Van Gogh lived this tortured life and he was able to take the pain that he felt and um, channel it into these paintings which show beauty and ecstasy and how they intersect Mm. and how they intersect with his pain. And he says some more things. He says, I'm not sure that there will ever be an artist like Vincent again. And I I I watched it this morning. Yeah. I watched it this morning and maybe I'm not remembering it correctly, but I, cause I've, I think I've only seen it once, but Mm -hmm. I think he, I don't remember him talking about his life as much as just talking about him as like the greatest master who ever lived. He does. He he says basically like he had pain and he was able to like funnel it into like uh things that were more than just his pain, but also included his pain. I guess that, I guess I guess he does say that, but for some reason that wasn't my takeaway from the speech when I watched it. Well, and then he says the last part, which is, I think he's like maybe the greatest painter of all time or something like that. I think he kind of leads with that. I think it's kind of like bookending his speech. But again, I might be remembering it wrong. Do I just need to like Google this? No, no. It's not a big, it's, it's not important. (laughs) It's not important. Um, But what? Well, since you watched. Yeah. Since you watched it this morning, how does, um, uh. How what how does he respond? Van Gogh uh yeah. starts starts uh crying, not like sobbing, like tears streaming out of his face, but his eyes getting like extremely watery. 
Yeah. And uh and when uh the doctor turns away from the curator because the curator is done speaking the doctor says oh i'm sorry vincent was it too much for you he says no these are tears of joy and then he hugs hugs the curator and thanks him so he's he's overwhelmed with joy at hearing this to answer your question and the first time i saw this um episode i had not really been watching doctor who regularly at the time and mm-hmm. I, um, went, uh, I went, uh, downstairs at my mom's house and it was on the TV and Blake and my mom were watching it. And, uh, I think it must've been within the, I think it was 2011. So I think it was within like a year or so of when it had come out and okay. I watched this scene and I just sobbed. And my mom was sobbing. And did you watch you know, the episode, or did you come into it mid episode? No. You j- just saw that scene. Yes, you just saw the scene. Okay. I just saw that scene, and yeah. in fact, my memory of having seen that episode was that I had mm-hmm. seen the last like twenty minutes of this episode, or like oh. <laughs> fifteen minutes of this episode. Yeah, and, and because fact, I was, was like so overwhelmed, minutes. it's mm. not even five; it's three. <laughs> I assume something happens after that, but okay. Um, not much. I think they go back to the TARDIS and there's, um, you know, other things happen. There's like a little bit of a, like, you know, a nod to the greater arc of the thing, but it's not, it's not that much. I assume they uh, see the painting. I haven't seen the episode, but I, I assume, I assume the painting of the TARDIS is like the denouement of the episode, but I could, I could be wrong. It that might come up later because he does show up again later in the season. Um, oh, uh, oh, really? Wait, what? <laughs> oh yeah, Van Gogh shows up because. Okay, so a, a brief <laughs> brief sidetrack here. <laughs> so, so I, this, I haven't watched the show. So this season Clearly. with um of Doctor Who, the arc part of the arc is that um Amy Pond's um fiance rory uh has been sort of absorbed into this like blackness and doesn't exist anymore but nobody remembers him yeah um and amy doesn't remember him and so Mm -hmm. like in this episode for example she's walk walking with van gogh and he's like you're crying and she was like i i am crying and um this is all coming to a head um because this terrible, terrible thing's going to happen. And part of this is going to be tied to Rory coming back. And so towards the end of the season, um, there's a painting that Vincent does of the TARDIS exploding. And so he shows up again, like basically like having a mental episode because he's having, he has visions in the, in this world. Um, so, okay. um, so yeah, so that's, so after I saw this, I just was like devastated. And I just want to say too, this is not, I'm, this is not a unique experience to me. Um, I mean, I think yeah. it's unique that I saw only that scene the first time, but, um, you know, this is one of the most beloved scenes, um, yeah. in Doctor Who and of Matt Smith's Doctor Who specifically. 
Mm-hmm. And to the point that I was able to send you the clip of it because they just put it, they were like, this is the clip everybody wants to see. So the Doctor Who YouTube channel put it on YouTube. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Um, and so, uh, when you watch the full episode, I think that this moment is earned a little bit more. But looking back, okay. I'm like, I realized, you know, when I started to think about, when this started to bother me, I was like, it's a trick, right? Because we're taking, and this this is my sort of premise, right? When you have time travel in movies and film, some of the time, the emotional resonance comes purely from the fact that you're seeing something impossible happen, or you're seeing a condensed series of emotional events happen. Because mm-hmm. they can be condensed because you're moving through time very quickly. Uh. So, and that's what's happening here, right? Vincent van Gogh was never going to know how beloved he would be. And so to be able to act out him being able to see that he would someday be renowned is really emotional for us, especially when we've been with his character, who we see in the show is struggling. Uh, if you do watch the whole episode. Okay. Um, I don't, so I I don't need to watch the show to know that, but okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying that, like... Yeah, no, no. Um, I, I was just saying I think it's common knowledge. Yeah. That he had problems. Oh, no, I meant that... Um, I meant that you get a particular attachment to the actor playing this person by okay. watching him act, as opposed to just seeing a person who's standing in. Okay. So I just want to talk about a couple of other times that this has showed up. Okay. So time travel. Sometimes it's funny, right? Sure. So like Back to the Future... Is a comedy. Right? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that that's a, a little bit reductive of a great film. But yes. And it's a, it's, a, it's a comedy. I'm not saying this is a good movie, but like Hot Tub Time Machine. Never seen it, but yes, comedy. Comedy. Alleg- allegedly a comedy. I also, now I've never seen movies, so I asked you what you thought about when you thought of Terminator, when you thought of Terminator, when you thought of time travel movies. And one of the things you brought up was, and, and TV shows, and one of the things you brought up was Terminator. Correct. I have not seen Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a feeling it does not fit the bill in the way that I am describing here in terms of this trickery that I'm so sick of. Why? Why? Because it's like, I guess what I mean is like, I'm less concerned with time travel when it's being used, like, in more of an action-y, sci-fi-y way. There's some good sci-fi to Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. But, again, I'm not really concerned with that movie because I don't think that it's... That's not doing the things that I'm talking about here, which is part of, part of what I'm trying to differentiate. I think that there's sometimes that time travel is used and it's interesting. I think that there's sometimes that time travel is used with this device and it's interesting, but I think that um, there are other times when it just feels like a trick. Okay. Um, To get 
you to feel things. Yeah. So I feel like Terminator probably doesn't fit this bill of what I'm saying. Okay. What? What? Okay. What's your point? Okay. So those are things I just that that was my point. Was that the, so? The point is that you asked me what I thought of when I thought of time travel, and you are just crossing a few things on off the list because we're not going to talk about them. Yes. And those things are Back to the Future and Terminator. Yes. I mean, those to are the clear, sort of like... To be clear, Hot Tub Time Machine was not on my list. I know. Yes. 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 I'm also not referring to something like that that's using it for comedy. Also like Quantum Leap, which is the sort of episodic time oh. travel show. Yeah. I don't really care about... It, it falls into this a little bit more, but because it's so episodic... It's like less of an issue to me because we're not, um, we're not really like, it can't really do the trick that I'm talking about here. It's more okay. so just a way to set the scene. Okay. Let's talk about what we, what you are talking about. Okay. So, or what again, you want to talk about. There's that Van Gogh scene. I'm now going mm-hmm. to talk about something Kenny hates when I do this, but I have read, I have not watched this movie because I knew that it would make me cry. And I read the plot summary of both the book and the movie today, and it did make me cry. Can I guess? Yeah. Uh, my guess is you're going to say The Lake House. No! <laughs> okay, what what is it? Same genre. Yeah. The Time, the traveler's, time traveler's Wife. The Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be really precise about how I edit this episode together. <laughs> because if I'm not, then we won't say it at the same time. Yeah. Um, so The Time Traveler's Wife was a movie that I remember seeing the trailer for and crying during the trailer. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you know what the premise of The Time Tra- Traveler's Wife is? What if a uh, time traveler had a wife? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. I haven't seen it, but that's my guess. So the premise is there's this dude that's born with this quote-unquote genetic uh not disorder disorder or like um not m- manipulation what's it called Difference. when it mu- mutation ah that means He's an that X-Man. he occasionally time travels but he can't mm-hmm. really control how he time travels sure and um so he is doing this and every time he travels he d- can't take anything with him so he always shows up naked and basically, he ends up falling in love with Rachel McAdams. Keep that mm-hmm. name in mind. Um, and then the movie is following, like, their relationship as they, like, fall in love and, like, move through time. But he meets Rachel McAdams. At some point, he meets her as a child. He, at some point, knows when he's going to see her. And so he, like, leaves a younger version of her with, like, a list of times that they're going to run into each other so that she can have, like, clothes Ready for him. Okay. Because, again, every time he shows up, he's naked. And so it becomes like a safety issue. Where, like, he's showing up naked and then he has to find clothes. Okay. I I will Um, point out, I will point out that at this time in our conversation, Terminator is relevant. (gasps) I assume Terminator, I don't know the time traveler's wife. I assume Terminator came first. Oh, it definitely did. Unless the Sounds book like, was written before it. Right. But Sounds like Time Traveler's Wife was ripping off Terminator. <laughs> Possibly. 
And so it goes through their like relationship and it goes through, but you know, they're meeting each other out of order. So like the first time that he meets her in this library, she has not seen him for two years. And the last time that she saw him, they had sex for the first time. So like that, right? Okay. (laughs) So like she's 18. She has sex with who's going to be her husband. He disappears. And the next time she sees him in her linear timeline, she's 20. And it's the first time that he's ever meeting her. Okay. Because his timeline's all wimbly-wombly. So, did they have sex the first time she met him? No. They... Again, keep in mind, like, she has a linear timeline, so A to B. Yes. But he insert yeah. he, because he's time traveling in a way that he can't control, versions yeah. of him that are getting older are inserting itself out of order into her timeline. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so they had had a relationship um, starting from when she was a child. Okay. For her. So as far as she's concerned, she's met this person multiple times. Okay. By the time that they sleep together. Okay. But the next time they see each other after that is the first time in his timeline that he runs into her. So, so do, is he ever a child? Yeah, I in honestly could not tell you from the, oh no, not, I don't think in her life. Okay. So um, they didn't like, they didn't like grow up together. Nope. She just saw him at some times when she was a child. Yes. Because he at that point knew who she was. Yes. As an adult, he knew her. I'm I'm following. Yeah. So, like, things like that are really emotionally fucked, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And... You know, it goes, they they go on, they get married, they have a child. The child can also time travel, but can control it a little bit. And then you find out that he, um, he gets to one of the iterations of his uh, daughter's life. And she's very upset and surprised to see him because the last she saw him, he had died. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, the way that the movie ends is basically um, he does die, but as he's dying, he says to Rachel McAdams, um, I'll see you one more time because he's already experienced the one more time that he's seen her. Uh-huh. And it ends with her very old, like in her late 70s or whatever, on like a porch and he like shows up. Yeah. And he's probably like a young man. Exactly. And it's it's very emotional. Yeah, it's like a Benjamin Button type of thing. Right. But this, like, the whole romantic premise of this book is that they're being pulled away from each other because of time travel that they can't control. Yes. And it feels, starts to feel sort of tricky to me because... By the end, you know that it's going to be meaningful when, like, you know at some point. I remember reading this and thinking, oh, 
she's going to see him once when she's really old and he's really young. And that's going to be really, like, meaningful. You know, like, capital M, meaningful. Yeah, obviously. So, so yes, I think that that's, like, a perfect example. And I also want to say, like, clearly the genre of romantic comedy is going, or not romantic comedy, of, like, a romantic, what is that genre? Romance? Yeah. (laughs) The genre of romance is going to Uh be doing some things that aren't, you know, you know, perhaps are a little bit cheesy to, like, particularly, like, swell you to a particular place. Um, but I still think it encapsulates the thing that I'm so annoyed with, um, mm-hmm. so well. Some other, yeah. another example is the Angel episode, I Will Remember You. Yes. Do you know which one th- that is? Uh, yeah, I think I know the episode you're talking about. Um, is there any time travel in that episode? So the time travel is that Angel goes back in time at the end of the episode to the moment that he could. So what happens in this episode for those oh, who don't yeah. know is okay, Angel yeah. um you know Buffy visits Angel, there's this demon that comes, you know, this is when he started the the new TV series. He's now on his own TV series. Buffy goes to visit. It's a crossover. It's probably the best crossover because it's like a full like I feel I actually thought that there was going to be way more cross crossing over in Buffy and Angel. Oh. Right. Okay. The, you, this is not the episode I was thinking of, but now okay. I remember. So, um, he fights a demon. The demon's blood sort of gets on him and basically it heals him and makes him mortal again. Um, yeah. So, uh, him and Buffy have like a whole bunch of sex and he like stands in the sun and is like, she's like, oh my God, you're in the sun and like, I can hear your heart and whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever. and it's really, it's really emotional. Um, but then he gets into this fight and realizes, oh, I don't know how to fight without my super strength. Mm. And so he realizes he can't protect Buffy, but also that he can't protect, um, a lot of the Los people Angeles. that, huh? Yes, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yes, he can't protect Los Angeles, which was his whole thing. His whole thing is redemption. And he feels like, because, you know, later he's hoping in that series, he's hoping to become human. But in this episode, he feels like he hasn't earned it yet. And also that he can't do what he needs to do to earn the, his humanity. And so mm-hmm. um, he basically goes to the powers that be and says, you have to fix it. And they say, OK, at midnight, we're turning you back to that moment. You have to make a different decision so that you don't get turned into a human. Um, and so there's this devastating scene where Buffy's like, there's not enough time. We can't go back. Um, and this scene was really emotional for both of them. Apparently, um, David Boreanaz was saying, uh, like, it's okay, Sarah, over and over again, because she was so upset. Oh. He had, he's fucked up and stopped seeing Buffy. Um, which I've heard no. that you can hear. I don't think you can hear it, but I think, I think if you look at his lips, it, he's saying Sarah. Um, do you think it's, do you think it's dubbed over? Yeah, I think it was. Or I think oh, that they wow. turned, I think that they turned him down and like put Buffy up. Cause she's oh. like sobbing. Cause they're simultaneously. Yeah, they're like hugging each other. Uh huh. And, um, yeah. What was I watching just recently where somebody was really obviously dubbed over? (laughs) And I thought it was weird because it seemed unnecessary. And also whatever I was watching, it seemed good. 
Yeah. <laughs> Except for this one, like, production screw up. Uh-huh. It was a, this really minor thing where it's like, you. the way I heard the line, it was like they said the word speak, but their mouth, the way their mouth moved, they obviously said talk. Like, <laughs> that was the difference. It was like that yeah. small of a difference. Uh-huh. Um. I think it was the I think it might have been the new Halloween movie. Oh, that's interesting. But I've watched a bunch of different things recently and it could have been any of them. Anyway, so distraction, sorry. Go yeah. <laughs> I mean the point being that like this was emotional of enough of a moment that even the actors were like Yeah. really into it. Yeah. And then of course midnight hits, it goes back in time and nobody remembers this except for Angel. And so uh, he has to keep those memories, um, but he can't share them with anyone. And uh, but he's gotten to be, uh, you know, have his vampire body back. And yeah. this episode, of course, also made me cry a lot. And it's, I think, a favorite episode among Buffy and Angel fans. But I think that part of it is because, and again, this whole series is fictional, but like it's sort of paying lip service to this relationship. Right? Lip and service? It's, like, it's saying, like, hey, here's, like, w- here's us saying, like, this is all the great things that could happen, but we know it actually doesn't make sense for the series, so it's all gone now. Okay. Do um, you mean fan service, or? Is that the term? Is it not the same? I mean, lip service is a term, which I think means you do something a service by talking about it. And fan yeah. service is a term that means like you put something in because you know the fans will like it, and that's I guess and that's I guess I mean usually fan to service. the detriment of the story. I guess I mean fan service. I um, mm. I guess I was saying lip service more so because it was taken away, so it's sort of like they're just sort of like letting them talk, you know, like they're sort of just like letting it be talked about, and then immediately being like, oh, but that doesn't count. Yeah. Whereas I feel like with fan service, like you said, it's normally to the detriment. And I don't think that this was to the detriment to the series because it would not have made sense for these characters' development to go back mm-hmm. to this relationship. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so that's another example where, like, I see what they were doing and, I, you know, it clearly had a resonance with me. But I feel like it's just a trick to be able to show us, like, a thing and then take it away because we knew it wouldn't make sense for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I want to talk about, oh, oh, and I also want to say with Doctor Who, Doctor Who is a show about time travel. Yes. And so uh, I think that that show has many times used time travel as a way to create emotional resonance in a way that doesn't feel like a trick. Okay. So the um, entire arc with River Song. So River Song is a character that shows up the first time you meet her, she dies the first time. And it's also the first time the doctor's meeting her. Mm-hmm. And then like two episodes later or something, uh, you see her again and you realize that her and the doctor's timelines are inverted from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, with some wimble wombles here and there. And um 
he keeps trying to figure out who she is because she can time travel, but she's not a time lord like he is. And um, she seems to have information about who she is and she's not sharing it with him. And finally, uh, we get to an episode where we find out that she's Amy Pond's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she's like sort of left. She sort of has walked away from this episode, you know, from all the main characters in this episode. And when she comes back, um, she's talking to Amy and she's uh, got this like handkerchief that she was given that has the baby's name on it. And this baby was just stolen from Amy Pond. Like the baby was just born and the baby was stolen. And um, she says, "The peop- I'm sorry I couldn't tell you before now, but the people that took me, um, they didn't have a, there was no standing water in the woods where they took me. And this, um, handkerchief that she was given that has this baby's name on it that was just stolen from her the TARDIS magic that like converts everything to English Mm -hmm. suddenly works on this thing and it goes from being in a language you can't read to saying River Song and you realize that her daughter which she had named Melody Pond Mm -hmm. is River Song and that is like that was one of the most shocking and also earned moments of that series that used time travel to create emotional meaning for me. Um, so, so what I hear you saying is there was a character named River Song, mm-hmm. and then in addition to that, we were the audience was also introduced to a character named Melody Pond, who was a baby. Yes, and. And it, and it was a surprise when those two names referred to the same person. Yes. River Song and Melody Pond. Okay, but Will, we had literally just met Melody Pond like 15 minutes before. Like she had just been okay. born. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And there was so much other stuff going on. I don't think anybody had... Um, the time to really put it together. Does that make sense? Yes. Like it's, yes, it it's this, it's tour, it's the season, you know, if it's not the season finale, it's at the end of the season and it's, um, it's really high charge because like we didn't know she was pregnant. They had her hiding away. We find out she's pregnant. She immediately gives birth. She names the child Melody. So they don't even, mm-hmm. she doesn't say, this is my daughter, Melody Pond, right away. They're just referring yeah. to her as Melody. And yeah, then, I'm just yeah, going it was. off of the details that you picked out as you presented them. Yes, of course. It's very obvious when they say, I mean, and that's, but see, I think that's part of the reason why it's earned is because uh, it's all of the details, not all of the details, a lot of the details that you needed were, were there throughout the season. So yeah. when you look back, a lot of things that were maybe a little weird yeah. are all in place. And make sense as to why, which is part of the reason why it's earned. Okay. For me. Yeah. So, like, that, I think, is a good example of when time travel is being used in, like, an interesting way to create emotional resonance. Okay, so now so, I want to so talk far about our cross. Got, yes. So far, I've, I've counted two examples of the, of, of what, of your thesis, of what you actually, what you want to talk about. Oh, three? There's supposed to be, Liz just showed me three fingers. Van Gogh. The time traveler's wife. Angel. And Angel. Okay, yeah, sorry. I, I, Angel got lost, shuffled 
around in my brain, overshadowed by the Doctor Who stuff. Okay. Right. Um, And then there's Endgame. Yeah. Avengers it, Endgame. And when I was watching, I just want to say, again, like I've said multiple times, I'm not saying that any of these are by themselves intrinsically bad. Um, I don't think that they particularly are. I also think that this is a thing that depending on if you saw these things, which of these you saw first, they would probably be less annoying to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, I think that Endgame was really well done, which I'm sure we discussed last week. And I think that it did a really good job of somehow concluding the insanity that is the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Because it could have just been total trash, and yet somehow they made a movie that was, uh, I think, fairly interesting and also very watchable. Yep. Does that make sense? Yes. But... (laughs) When I was watching this movie for the first time in theaters, the only time I've seen it, I guess, actually. um, When it came up that they were basically going to be time traveling, Mm -hmm. I remember being like, oh, they're time traveling? That's what it is? Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Because this is my problem with that. Part of what makes... um, Here, let me plug my computer in quick. Part of what makes... The beginning of Endgame, what's, what happens at the beginning of Endgame? Like in the first, before we jump ahead, what's the sort of thing that happens? Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, oh yeah, spoiler alert for anything in this episode. <laughs> uh, the cold open of the film is Captain Marvel rescues Iron Man, who is drifting in space uh, with Nebula. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also are played brought- by oh, by the way, Nebulon played by yeah, Amy Pond. Yes, <laughs> very good. Uh, they are brought back to Earth, uh, where a uh, they they have a conversation. Uh huh. <laughs> the Avengers have a conversation, and then uh. Many of them are dispatched to a planet where they believe that Thanos is hiding out and they know him to be there because uh, some ki- some kind of uh, they, they got some kind of a reading yeah. of an immense power surge that, uh, you know, seems as if it, it was a, a, another use of the Infinity Stones, which Thanos mm-hmm. has. So they go to that planet where they do, in fact, find Thanos. Thanos explains he doesn't have the stones. He used the stones to destroy the stones. That That was was the the use of the stones that led them to him. Uh, And Thor uh, kills him in anger. Yeah. And and what can they do? Yeah. And then it's like... That's the cold open. Sad. Yeah. And then it jumps ahead five years. And yeah, so all good. That I think is amazing. And I think Everything that the good. weight I think the weight of that is really incredible too, because um, you know, part of 
and we've, we've discussed this in the first two phases, um, of the MCU. And I'm assuming we discussed it last week too, but like part of the, part of the rut that these movies can get into is, you know, there's a big bad and then they have to figure out a way to defeat the big bad and then they do. Right? Sure. And so this is great because they found the big bad and they defeated him and yet it didn't make them feel any better. There's no triumph in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's one way of describing something that happens, yeah. And so I loved that. Um, and then when they started time traveling, there was a couple of reasons I was annoyed by this and it felt sort of tricky to me. The first reason was that um, them time traveling basically allows them to just bing, bring bring back this big bad that they just defeated and make him the big bad defeated again. Defeated is a strong word. That they just murdered. <laughs> yeah. Well, that one of them just murdered. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but they were all feeling pretty good about it, I think, at the time. Um, and I felt like that, that felt a little bit tricky to me. Like, a, and by tricky, I mean like, like a trick. What felt Trixie. tricky? Bringing, bringing, bringing back Thanos? Yeah, it just felt like, oh, this well, is just okay, the same okay. guy from can, the last movie. Can I ask you to, like, uh, you're... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> what, what is unifying about all this? There, what do you there, mean? I mean I mean, what is unifying about what what unifies that and the Van Gogh scene from Doctor Who, which you have not asked me what I think about, even though you asked me specifically to watch it before we recorded this. Oh yeah, what, just because I. What unifies these things except they both happen to include time travel and you were and you're dissatisfied by them? Okay, so it's not that's just one part of the Thanos thing, and then I'll answer your question. So let me get to the next two parts. The other two ways that time travel is used in this movie that I think is tricky is Iron Man gets to talk to his dad. Yeah, and. And Steve Rogers gets to go and be with his lady. Yes. What what do you what do you mean by tricky and what is bad about it to you? Like what What's, is your problem? My problem with it is that I think that it's being overused. I think that this mechanism of time travel to create emotional resonance is like annoying to me. Because, and it, and it works. I just want to say it works because again, I, as somebody who cries a lot, cries very easily at all of these things. And I which just feel like I'm being. Which is evidence that it may not, which is evidence that it may not be successful. Because well, you're, you're saying that you are, you are easily manipulated. <laughs> I, I guess what I mean is like, it feels like a trick to me because it feels like a cheap trick. And it feels like a cheap trick because, of course, when you take something that's impossible and put them next to each other, like when you somehow let 
Captain America, who, through other reasons, was separated from the love of his life and lets him go back, you know... Time travel reasons. What? Time travel reasons. Yes. But, you know, slightly different than just... uh, Um... And the same with with Iron Man. Wouldn't you let RDJ go talk to his dad? It's going to be emotional. Yeah. And it's emotional because it could never happen. And granted, again, it's well, a fictional universe. No. But it's like forcing this like emotional resonance into a, a bubble. It It's emotional and it's impossible. It's not emotional because it's impossible. I think it's, it's emotional it's, because it's impossible. I You'll have to explain that one to me. Because it's emotional because it's a, a father and son connecting with each other. And you know how meaningful it is to Tony Stark. But there's the dramatic irony effect of like, well, John Slattery doesn't know that he's talking to his grown up son from the future. Yes, that's that's exactly why I think it feels like a trick to me. Because all of those emotions... Okay, so let's say you had a father and a son finding common ground, right? Yeah. And like... and Okay, you have that, but the whole situation is... The stakes are raised way up because it's coming from this impossible situation. So it's not just like, you know, me... Like driving to Ohio and talking to my dad for the first time in five years. It's me and I were in the realm of this movie or this TV show. And so it's this, it's this thing that never should have happened. And so also people who like maybe have had regrets and want to be able to go back in time or, you know, travel through time in such a way. Um, that it would, they could, you know, maybe work through something or watching this and imagining themselves traveling through time to be able to have this, like, thing. Well, now, if I'm understanding you correctly, which I couldn't possibly be, but if I'm <laughs> getting a sliver of understanding of what you're saying, uh-huh. I, I, I'm following you because I have... Uh, been uh, a little bit fixated on this line of thinking recently, which is like movies as wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And I've been sort of recognizing like where I see that, where I like enjoy a movie because I go like, oh, there's like a little bit of wish fulfillment for me to watch this. And also where like the inverse is happening, where like I think like, oh, I might have liked it better if only this had happened. And then mm-hmm. I think like, well, then, well, that's something I wish for. And if they had done it, it would have been wish fulfillment and not everything that, that I watch, not every show and every movie is going to have that wish fulfillment, you know, ch- box checked. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that it would be exhausting uh, and, and, uh, uh, it would be undesirable if every story was an, an enactment of wish fulfillment of, yeah, of totally. like a what if. Um, but I think it, 
I think it ha- has value and I, I like it. I, I like, I like it. I, I too much of it and I wouldn't like it, but in the doses of it that I'm getting, I like it. And I think that's totally fine. I also think that again, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I feel like it's being used a lot. And that's what I mean when I'm saying I'm sick of it. I want directors to try to do something else for a while until they come up with like a more interesting way to do this. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean. I was talking to my coworker, my co-editor, Laura, today. Uh, hello, mm-hmm. Laura. And she was like, have you seen the movie About Time? And I was like, no. No, and, no one uh, has. <laughs> she has. About Time stars Bill Weasley. Um... Bill Nighy is the father, which is why I was like, oh, he shows up again. <laughs> okay. And Rachel fucking McAdams. Oh, yeah. And some people just sto- get typecast. The story of this movie is that, um, it's very, it's very similar to the time traveler's wife in the sense that there are these men in this family. The men, basically the father tells Bill Weasley that the men can time travel and they, but they can do it at will. And so, you know, there's various exploits of a Bill Weasley going back and trying to fix things. And sometimes it works out for him and sometimes it doesn't. At some point um, near his daughter's first birthday, he goes back in time to help his sister um, who cannot time travel because she's a woman. And um, when he comes back to his kid's birthday party, uh, his daughter is now his son and his dad or whoever. Basically, it's it's figured out that... Um, oh, hey, you know, sperm meeting up with an egg is so fucking random that if you time travel to before your children were conceived, it's going to be a different child, even if the child is, even if you conceive the child on the exact same day. Okay. Um, And so then he finds out that his father is terminally ill. Mm-hmm. And so, and that his father's been extending his life through time traveling and his father dies, but he goes back in time to visit him when he feels sad. Mm-hmm. But then he and his wife decide to have another child. And so that's how the movie ends is the movie ends with him basically going back in time to visit his dad one last time because he won't be able to travel back in time without changing who his child is in the, in the current day. Okay. So that movie is like, it's just like, it's not exactly the same as The Time Traveler's Wife, and it's not exactly the same as, like, the other sort of, like, um, things I've talked about here, but it's, like, so similar to, like, so many other things, to the point that it even still has Rachel McAdams in it. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, some people are just typecast. That just happens to some <laughs> people that get into a rut where they're like, get the, you know... Get the person from the movie that's like this already. Uh, that movie sounds terrible. I can't. I mean, I think she described it as I just thought it was going to be a fun little jaunt, and there was a scene <laughs> with the father at the end that wrecked me. Uh huh. So now that we've said all of this, I do want to get into how I think that this device has been moved, at least in one very specific show into not literal time travel for the characters, but for the viewer. Yeah. 
And again, you know, we've had flashback in shows before, but I think that this is being done in the same way and in a very specific way and a very intense way. And the sh- do you know the show I'm, I'm going to talk about? I, I know what show I wish you would talk about, but I don't think you've watched it. I'm so sorry, Will. I'm not talking about Quantum Leap. No. What, what show are you talking about? <laughs> Legion. No, I haven't seen Legion. Legion just wrapped up after its third season, and season three was very much like the time travel season of the show. And it rules because the entire (laughs) show rules or Uh ruled past tense. Uh The show I'm talking about is This Is Us. Oh, no. (laughs) Are you familiar with the show? I think we've talked about this already. We talked about the first episode because if we go back to the first episode of this podcast, I watched the first episode of This Is Us while I was in labor. Yeah. And so here's the sort of premise of This Is Us. The first episode of This Is Us with Mandy Moore um, starts with three... Us. What? Us. This Is Us. Oh, yes. This Is Us. It starts with us. Actually, it starts with this. Um, it starts with <laughs> three different people that are having birthdays and then one woman who is pregnant, who is Mandy Moore. Yeah. And so you go through, uh, there's Sterling K. Brown, there's Chrissy Metz, and there's Kevin, whose actor's name I don't know or care about. And, and uh, these are all, these are all parallel. I have not seen this. Yes. But it, correct me if I'm wrong. These are all parallel stories. That do not intersect. So yes, throughout when you're watching the first episode, these show, these these storylines are not intersecting. So right. you've got um, Sterling K. Brown finding his uh, birth father, who he's never met before. Um, Chrissy and Kevin, I feel like actually might intersect because they're. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out, I think, pretty early that they're twins. And okay. then you've got Mandy Moore, who is in labor with triplets. Yep. And so. Uh, the show goes on, it's happening, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera. Mandy Moore gives birth. The, um, one of the triplets, uh, that she gives birth to is stillborn, hmm. but the other two survive. Again, not the best show to watch when you're actively in labor. Yes, uh, this sounds familiar. Though, uh, I mean, who would watch that show when they were actively in labor? Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And basically the, you know, it gets to the end and you real, and she's given birth to two, to a girl and a boy. And then there's been this baby that's been dropped off that needs to be adopted. And you realize that these three children are the children in present day and that this is in the past. What? And the way that you realize this is Milo Ventimiglia is like looking Mm. at the nursery and the dude next to him lights up a cigarette. (laughs) Uh huh. And you're like, he can't smoke on the, oh. And, and so, and I, yes, go ahead. I, I, I want to point out something that uh, I didn't come up with this observation myself, but I'll, I'll do what I do best and just repeat uh, observations that I read online and uh-huh. not attribute them because I forgot where, where I read them. <laughs> but this, this was a long time ago. I read somebody on the internet pointing out that, what you just described and why I made a point of saying they're parallel storylines and then mm-hmm. they don't intersect until the end of the pilot episode when you realize yes. how they intersect. 
and yeah. all these people are part of one family. That is the exact same device as the first episode of the show Modern Family. Oh. <laughs> where you see in parallel storylines that don't intersect each of the nuclear families. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the episode, you find out that they're all part of this. They're all related to each other. They're all part of how they're all related to each other. Oh. And they all intersect. The only difference is that there's no like, oh, this is actually not in the same timeline. Yeah, but yeah. The, 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 they're all related to each other. They were parallel and now they're intersecting. That's the same. That's so interesting. I've not seen yeah. Modern Family, but that's funny that that happened way before this. So, so this is us continues to throw us curves, curveballs like this, where we'll suddenly be following a character that we don't know. Um, and then you realize that this is a character that's related, how this character is related to our sort of main cast. But and I, and I have other- not watched the show. But I, yes. I would hazard a guess that this method of storytelling is not incredibly sustainable. Well, let me tell you, they're on the fourth season. Is that all? And I think that they are, I, I mean, let me look this up really quick. I'm fairly certain that they have been purchased for seven seasons. And that's wow. how long the run's going to be. Seems long. Um, but what the other thing that they do with the show besides, um, yeah, so they're on season four mm-hmm. and I don't know if it says easily here how many seasons there's going to be. Um, but let's see. They renewed. Not, not important right now. But it's going to be sustainable or at least they've sustained it so far. Um, but, and you know how they've sustained it, Will? They keep adding new people. Yeah, but I mean, like, effectively sustainable. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, I I watched all of Lost. Oh, yes. Like, totally. Like, they just, like, they started the show and they were like, we're going to tell the stories of these characters by doing flashbacks. And in each episode, it's like one character it's their series of flashbacks that are like interspersed with what's going on in the present day. Uh-huh. And like, that's cool and fine for a while. But in a world where a television show is successful and there, and when it is successful, it's expected to go on for at least six years, if not uh-huh. seven, eight, nine, ten. Like, yeah. are you, are you going to be able to do that well over all that yeah. time? And the answer is, wow, that really fell apart at the end. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Lost? I know people have mixed feelings about Lost. I remember at one point just being like, I did not watch it like end to end, but I remember, um, but Blake did, and he would do a thing actually that um, Kenny does now where he would sort of summarize what had happened because it was on late too for me. Like I was like, I need to yeah. go to sleep. Yeah. And I remember him being like, like it's kind of o'clock. a mess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was on from like nine to ten, and I was like, I gotta yeah. clock out of this uh, one. Yeah, I I just said because uh, you said it fell apart at the end, and I balked at that because I would just say the the problems did not start at the end. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> My recommendation is that you watch the first two seasons of Lost, and then pretend that that's how the show ended. <laughs> right, right. So with This Is Us, what they do after that first episode yeah. is we then have um, 
stories that show, um, I mean, they, they jump around, but there are various different places where you could be seeing the characters. So you can be seeing pre-children Mandy Moore and her husband, Mm -hmm. sometimes pre-Mandy Moore and her husband, Mandy Moore and her husband. Mm -hmm. You can see Mandy Moore and her husband right after the babies are born. Yeah. You can see Mandy Moore and her husband with the children as, um, preteens. Mm-hmm. You can see Mandy Moore and her husband with her children as teens. Yep. At this point, spoilers, Mila Ventimiglia dies yes. right before they graduate high school. Uh, a crockpot kills him. What? A crockpot kills him? Yes, the crockpot. The crockpot kills him with a gun. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't think it was with a gun, yeah. but that crockpot. <laughs> that's the yeah, it's, that's um, the twist. There's sometimes in between teen years and quote unquote present day. So present day is the adult actors that are Chrissy Metz, Alton, uh, 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 Sterling K. Brown, and um, uh, Kevin. And then they do. We need to talk about Kevin. And... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was Kenny's book club book the one time. Oh, nice. Uh, and sometimes they go into the future and they sort of hit beyond that, but not very often. And they've hinted that, um, Mandy Moore is very sick in the future, um, in a uh-huh. couple of future flashes. But the sure. problem, this is, this is why I think that this is related to the time travel thing. Because part of what happens with time travel is that you can condense these things together that shouldn't be able to be condensed, right? So you can take, um, like some like knowing that your dad is going to die and condense that with you having a last conversation with your dad um for the last time which mm-hmm. none of those things were things that which for the most part are things that you wouldn't be able to do in real life because you wouldn't be able to know when all of those things are happening yeah. And you can right. condense them together. And that's why, again, the motion's super heightened because it's, as you were saying, wish fulfillment. Um, yes. This show does not do that with the characters because the characters themselves are not moving through time. But yeah. we are sometimes seeing these these people in two, three, sometimes four parallel moments in their lives. Yeah. And so they're essentially moving us, the viewer, through time. In a way that feels mm-hmm. very similar to this time travel way, or at least the trick that the time travel way is, because it's condensing mm-hmm. these really emotional moments right next to each other. Yeah. And it's exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I still watch the show partially because, like, I watched the first season of it when I was on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped watching it for a while because it was too exhausting, and then I just sort of binged it all in, like, you know, a day and a half or something. Uh-huh. Um, and now I watch it because, uh, I'm invested in the characters, one, but also because I have coworkers that watch it. So it's a social thing for me. Yeah. Cause we, and- as you can, I'm sure you can imagine, there's not that much crossover in a lot of the things that I watch and read with my coworkers. Yeah. I, I find, uh, yeah. I haven't found my this is us in my workplace. Yes. Yes. And they like, and I don't watch sports either, so I can't even really. Yeah, that's I think universal for a lot of my coworkers. I say universal clearly; it doesn't include me, but I just mean like you know, especially with like the Nationals right now are you know in the World Series. Oh yeah! Congratulations. Thanks. I worked really hard for it. Uh huh. Um, 
But I mean, even, you know, when, when, especially when you have something like a hometown team that's doing really well, that is something, and I don't have that. So, though actually the Nationals <laughs> is probably the team I might align myself with out of any sports team across all sports, but, um, yeah. but yes. So th- this is why I'm sick of it is because I feel like we've done it. I feel like we've done it a lot of ways. And I feel like I figured it out. I feel like I mm-hmm. haven't seen it used in a way that's surprising to me recently or interesting. Okay. Even yeah. if it's been done in ways that I thought were well done in the past. Um, uh-huh. And also, I think that we have this show, This Is Us, which has taken this device, removed the science fiction part of it. Right. Left the thing that annoys me and like done it times 20. Uh-huh. And that's why I'm sick of time travel. Okay. Now I think, yeah, I think you closed very strong there because now you've, you've said something that I can wrap my head around, which is when you said, we've done this before, we've seen it before, you're not seeing it done in a new and interesting way or a surprising mm-hmm. way. You're just seeing it repeated. Yes. Sometimes with literally uh- the same actors. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Your Rachel McAdams <laughs> and your Bill Nighy's, yeah, and Amy um, Pond to a point. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, in theory, uh, I'll just say real, real quick, because Endgame is like the most recent example of a movie that you've cited. And yeah, and, th- and I, I also thesis- want to say too, there's a lot of. I think that there's a lot of. Things that we didn't cover here. And so I just tried to focus yeah. on the things that I've specifically interacted with. Yeah, yeah. That's totally makes sense. And, and, and I, and that's fine. And I was just going to say, like, uh, in theory, I was really resistant to the idea of time travel entering the story of the mm-hmm. Avengers. And then, uh, and then it was just, it was just so much fun mm-hmm. and like that, uh, it was, you know, it, it, it is emotionally manipulative and maybe it is a cheap trick, but like the, the Robert Downey Jr. John Slattery scene was like effective to me. And I was like, gosh, you know, I'm really glad that they put it in the movie, even if it is just because like under no other circumstances were like these two actors playing these two characters going to like right. act opposite yeah. each other and and that felt like a missed opportunity like i think prior to endgame the only time that we had seen them like in the same frame mm-hmm. it was like robert downey jr was like digitally de-aged and they were n- not even like really like facing one another you know it was so so it just felt like oh they're really you know, even though it should be impossible, they're really in the same place and they're really talking to each other. And and it's like neat because like it's neat for me as a nerd who like cares about John Slattery being in these movies <laughs> and mm-hmm. like the part that he played and the way that we just see him in like flashbacks and like videos from the past. Yeah. And it was just neat to see like, you know, see him actually, you know, more featured. Mm hmm. Um, and, uh, and I like the part of the movie where they explain like their version of time travel 
It's not like you've seen it in all these other movies. You know, we're doing it this way. And and it's it works just enough so that like when I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it really makes sense this way. And then afterwards, it's like trying to think about it, like really makes your head hurt. And it does not make sense when you try to reflect on it. But when I, when you're watching it, I think it works. I And I want to say, too, with Endgame, like the parts that you were saying when it was really fun, I loved those parts of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and my I thought that that was, was what worked really well. In my letterboxed review, my very brief letterboxed review of Endgame, I, I called it a, a a greatest hits compilation. Yes. And and that's that's what the effectiveness of the movie was to me. It was just mm-hmm. like uh we're that we're doing tra- time travel mainly so that we can take this pivotal moment in the series to just look back on, you know, the hits and just it's like, like a play medley. them again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and I I th- and that was fun for me as someone who enjoys the movies and I thought it was well earned because it's yeah. like you know more than ten years in the making and more than twenty movies in the making and mm-hmm. and so I was like yeah okay wh- why not do that it's a hell of a lot better than like doing something like really like dour and like I mean dour can be good like the dour like early parts of Endgame are good yeah but like. It's like earned dourness. It's not like yes, totally. It's not like the seriousness of like this guy from space is too huge, and, <laughs> and so like everything is bad. Not yeah. like everyone's so upset. Uh, it's like you know when it's when it's actually earned and about like grief and loss. Like I can watch that, and then also when that's counteracted by like the fun of like the greatest hits medley, um, it's all. It's all good. Yeah. Um, uh, you've seen Back to the Future, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I just wanted to confirm that. Uh, that's that was that's like Back to the Future is like one of my first favorite movies. Oh, really? I like it a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a favorite. It's one of the first movies growing up that I loved uh, and like called my favorite. Uh-huh. Like Back to the Future and The Princess Bride. And Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Donnie Darko are probably that's like my Mount Rushmore of like preteen to early teen girls, like, you know, first bunch of favorite movies. Do you want to know my like Mount Rushmore of preteen to early teen Liz? Hell yeah, I do. So we know one, which is the Life Aquatic. Of course. So the Life Aquatic, it's probably the Life Aquatic. Amelie, Garden State, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, oh, and if we Amelie were to have a with... fifth head in there, let's say we were to cut out Life Aquatic because that was like a little bit later, it would be The Science of Sleep. Interesting. I still haven't seen that one. Uh, yeah, except for uh, Amelie, which I didn't see until much more recently. Like, yeah, I, um, I, I can uh, totally relate to your Mount Rushmore. I would, I would happily visit it Mm -hmm. and uh, take pictures with it. Um, And I also, I just want to say the watching the doctor who scene. Oh yeah. Which you sent me this morning, which I had heard about. I knew Uh that this scene existed, but I guess I had never seen it before. 
Um, it, it stinks. It's very bad. Yeah. The main reason why though is the song. Oh my God. I, I, I almost, I almost texted you to say like, is this really how it is in the episode or is this? And like honestly, a- I didn't even notice the song. That's like not even something that registered to me, which I think is also a testament to the different ways that you and I consume media. Yeah, it's that's that's nuts to me because the (laughs) the song is so glaringly like distracting and bad. What is the song? I well, I I don't know what it is. I the uh, from my memory, the only thing I can tell you to try and describe it is I think that it's a perfect example of like I think if you're going to do it's a song with lyrics to be clear. Mm And so even though it's a song that I've never heard before, I would call it a needle drop, which is something that we're going to be talking, I think, a lot about on the next episode of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a song that I assume was not written for the show or for this mm-hmm. moment. It's just a song, an existing song that they scored the scene with. And when you do that in a show or a movie, I believe you mustn't pick a contemporary song Mm. unless it's like a, unless maybe it's a comedy, unless like the point that you're making is like, this is a moment in time. And like at the moment you're showing us in the movie, like this is the song that like would have been playing on the radio Mm -hmm. or so this is what was popular at the time. This is a song in this Van Gogh scene that is just supposed to be like representing the emotions that we're going through. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds like it just sounds like 2010, uh, like indie pop. It, it, like it, it, I mean, I knew that you were not going to react to that scene in the same way that I did because I know who you are. Mm-hmm. Which is not a dig on you. Um, the the main reactions where I had were this this song is really distracting, and then the second reaction that I had was, um, this the guy playing Van Gogh is like really, uh, o- overdoing it. Uh huh. He he's like I I don't. F- I'm supposed to feel like so happy for him in this uh-huh. moment. And I felt a sort of like small contempt for him. <laughs> You're so mean. A small contempt. That should be the name of your memoir, Will. A small <laughs> contempt. The, it should be the name of this season of this podcast. <laughs> small, small contempt season. Yeah. Oh, Lord. But yeah, that's well, what I have on it. Again, and I just want to say good. too, like, if a child... Not a child. There was a kid behind me that I maybe talked about last week um, who was maybe 10 or 11 or 12 years old who was seeing Endgame who was just the happiest kid seeing Endgame. And he like, like when Captain America picked up Thor's hammer, mm-hmm. he yelled, I knew it. Yes. And, uh, was then going, ah, 
And then, like, I think, like, shortly after that, Captain America gets, like, knocked down or punched or something. And he was like, oh, no! Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could just hear his whole reaction. And that kid, for that kid to experience what I'm describing with time travel, I think Endgame's a perfect way for him to do that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just tired of it now. Yeah, I understand. You're not a kid. And uh, you've been exposed to a lot more media than that child or most children have. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that as much as I understand your point and I agree with you, my my first reaction to hearing you say that like this time travel trope is is so overused in media Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I think of is like, maybe you, you're consuming the wrong media. <laughs> cause I, cause I, I'm not an authority, but I'm pretty sure there's a ton, like an overwhelming majority of media that have nothing to, that has nothing to do with time travel. <laughs> well, right. And so that's, I guess like part of, you're totally right in that, that regard. I guess that's part of where like, Part of the reason I think I got so tired of it was because of This Is Us. And I realized that, mm-hmm. again, this is not as not time travel, but I realized that yeah. this mechanism, mm-hmm. which sort of I think, as far as I'm concerned, came from time travel in shows yeah. and movies, mm-hmm. is now being utilized where it just I'm starting to feel like I'm seeing it, quote unquote, everywhere. And... Oh. um you know, This Is Us is the sort of, like, keystone example of that. And I have uh, – and I think the other times that I'm seeing it, I'm it's in a much smaller way. And so um, I don't have a bunch of uh, really great examples for you. But as soon – it was also one of these things that, like, as soon as I realized that it was bothering me, I was able to look back at other things that had had, like, a very specific emotional resonance and realize yeah. why that it had had that emotional resonance. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So I will say – if you are committed to being sick of this time travel stuff mm-hmm. and you need a break from it, then don't watch Legion. Oh, wait. But if you, but if you are open or, or <laughs> when you, or perhaps when you get to the point uh-huh. when you are open to, uh, 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 seeing a new variation on a story involving time travel. Yeah. Please, please watch Legion. I will. I uh, will. <laughs> David Sims is dead wrong about Legion and everything. Noah, Hall- I haven't seen Lucy in the Sky yet, but uh-huh. uh, Noah Hawley is the showrunner for Legion and Fargo, the Fargo uh-huh. TV series. And yeah, um, I love both of those very dearly. And he just uh, he directed a movie that just came out with Natalie Portman. So maybe oh, you will girl. be interested in seeing this movie. Natalie Portman plays an astronaut who goes to space and then oh, comes yes. back to Earth and wishes uh-huh. she was still in space. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I am probably going to see it this weekend, I hope. Uh-huh. Yes. In addition to seeing Gemini Man in 3D and high frame rate. Why? On Saturday at 9.55 a.m. Why do because, you say that? Because it is as close as I can come to seeing the film as the director intended in the United States of America, where there are no theaters screening the movie as it was shot. I saw this. Which is in 3D and 120 frames per second. 
Oh but my god. No one has the technology to actually <laughs> screen the movie that way. I read that and I was like, yeah. I feel like I don't care about this. <laughs> I I have decided that I have to care <laughs> because I am an aspiring film buff. <laughs> so that's what's in store for my weekend and maybe oh uh future episodes of the podcast. Right. I'm going to pick a pumpkin, so. Oh, I just did that last weekend. Mm-hmm. And some apples. We picked apples already. Kenny made apples. Oh, well, that's one trip for us. Yeah. Yeah, you don't well, live in Northeast land. <laughs> yeah. We go to Wilcox, Arizona. Uh-huh. I'm trying to make a joke and I can't. I can't no, get there yeah. fast enough. <laughs> a, a joke about a joke about what? Wilcox, Arizona? I can't imagine what where's the where's the joke? I don't I I why would that even cross your mind? Anyway, happy fall. Happy fall, Will. I love you. Thank you for I listening you to me too. complain about time travel. Thank you for talking to me about it. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at Youngest of One, and his website is WilliamHoffacker.com. You can find Liz at Exclamate on Instagram, at Exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, ElizabethDeannaMorrisLakes.com. Our website is SmugBuds.com, and the podcast is at SmugBuds on Twitter and Instagram.